Listen to that music in the background. You know what it is. You know what it is. That means it's time for Table for Two, your favorite podcast that sounds like crap. I'm here with my co-host, Karyon Tom, the man, the myth, the guy who does all the work. And uh, I'm Alex Hane. And Happy New Year, Car. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Great start to 2020. Yeah, we're both, we're both, yeah, both packed full of delicious Szechuan food. We ordered too much, man. Uh, well, we always do though. Yeah, we do. it's a, it's a tradition. We have the third person there, but uh, we didn't adjust. I don't think we adjusted appropriately. Well, yeah, we, we added. Well, we normally get three dishes for the two of us. And we got five dishes for the three of us. That's an in- inflation of 0.5 per person per, for that that third person, right? Right. It's not that big a total inflation, but when you consider we normally don't finish our food anyways. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good. So it's been uh, interesting, interesting few months in Magic since our. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, a few weeks since our last episode. It's the classic, the classic use of interesting there. That you know, oh uh, yeah, that deck list is very uh, interesting. Uh, you know, Bobby, Bobby makes some plays that are interesting. You know, so yeah, it's been a few interesting months of Magic. Yeah. Uh, most, most recently, there's been uh, bands in modern, right? Where Oko finally got the axe and the. The last, you know, next up for him is is legacy, I think, and uh, then vintage. Hopefully, you know, we get to the point where Oko's restricted in vintage. Could be like the power ten, you know. Maybe time twister gets rotated out, and Oko just puts in there, and Mox Opal as well. Uh, a lot of people upset about this because they lost a lot of money on these bands, and Micah and Vladis, which is kind of you know the. The, kind of like the third person we had at dinner, not really doing much of anything. So, <laughs> tag yourself. I'm Mox Opal. <laughs> so yeah, Oko does a lot of work. Mox Opal's just there for the ride. <laughs> so yeah, I, I lost. I don't know how much Mox Opals were worth prior to this, but I lost many hundreds of dollars. And Oko's, I also own four copies. So. I was, I was considering making firing up a tweet with me lighting all eight cards on fire just for you know for value but I didn't want to pollute the planet so I just recycled them instead I didn't realize that it was uh, funny to hear people tweet out like you know as someone that owns like 12 Ocos or whatever I still think this is the right thing to do but then some people that that's mostly their collection they're like you know you can you can say that but not me <laughs> yeah someone's like oh i think it's a really great thing as someone who borrows cards you know you can't you can't say that obviously even the other person is in an incredibly privileged position look he owned 24 foil okos and 72 foil mox opals because you're a wealthy person you, you, you're not you know you're not like just barely getting by on having a magic collection and i think you know, if you look back, maybe some people, I guess, maybe never played Magic when they didn't have much money. But I certainly have played Magic without being able to just buy whatever deck I wanted at any time. And you know, it's a challenge, especially to play competitive Magic. And nowadays, things are more expensive than ever. Back when I played, it was like original Ravnica and the Dual Lands were the most expensive thing you had to buy. But once you had your playset of Dual Shocklands, that is, you know, you could you could play base Lady deck for a relatively low buy-in. Even then, it was still, you know, a buy-in that was an amount of money that meant a lot to me. And now, I'm in a comfortable enough place. I can shrug off the loss of a thousand bucks or whatever from from this ban, 
but that's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people, I think, are just going to be out of magic, and if this was the only time they made a big band like this, it, then it's understandable, right? But they've been, just been having to do this over and over and over again this last year, and, you know, play design was kind of started up as a group after the last time where we had a bunch of bands from Kaladesh, right? And it just seemed, it feels like things are worse than ever in many ways. Uh, whether it's necessarily their fault, I think they have a very challenging job to do, especially if you consider that Modern Horizons was printed this year as yet another set to try and balance. And we don't know what internal pressures there are on them. You know, it's, they're not, they're, they're, there's a good chance they're not just tasked with make this magic format as enjoyable and balanced as possible. They're also tasked with sell a ton of cardboard, right? Right. Uh, and Oko certainly sold a ton of cardboard. It was the start. It was the start of the set. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could have been Urza instead of Mox Opal, right? Probably. It, the Mox Opal maybe has some other problems, but I did think the Affinity deck was actually kind of a healthy one to exist. It was always like strong, but not too strong. And but they're not going to bend the card. Another card from Modern Horizon showing that they misjudged it yet again. So I, I don't know. I don't know though, because you're right. Like when since we reunited uh, at Battle from Zenicar, there's been pockets of of bannings here and there. I, I, but like this past year, it's just like a first time we've seen like such a streak. Yeah. And uh, I'm not. And, and like, but the game has kept going and going, and, and it's like, what will be? I'm curious what will be the overall effect. Especially with with Theros Beyond Death, I think overall people seem pretty hyped. Like once again, they're doing a lot of things to sell the set with the what people say are Pokemon look, looking for lands, but that's appealing to a lot of people, and people are going to buy the set uh, just to foil out their deck with those lands or, or finish whatever decks. And and they came out with other um, killer planeswalkers or, or cards in the set. So. Yeah, I mean, they've been pushing the, the power level pretty high, which makes them have to ban things, but also make people buy cards. Uh, things like gimmicky things like having, you know, new cool-looking lands that look really cool foil, That's a, I think that's a fine way to, to sell packs. Obviously, I'd rather they just produce high-quality sets, but I understand that, you know, things like that are good. What I think is bad is when they just, what they're doing right now, when they're just trying to push the power level with power creep, right? Uh, I think some, Sam Party likes to say this: it's borrowing from from the future, because at some point, either the cards just continually get more and more powerful, which you get to the point where, like, oh, for one mana you play a seven-seven creature or something, right? It's just at uh, what what point does it stop? It, ne it never stops, or you have to dial it back, and then you don't you don't sell cards at the point you dial it back because everybody's like, oh, this sucks. This is. This is no, you know, Eldrain or Theros Beyond Death or whatever, you know. Uh, and, you know, if they try and have a strong power level all, all the time, you know, it, it, it definitely works if they're going to have the premier tournaments be things like Modern Pioneer, where they're bigger formats, you need to have a bigger splash to impact an older format. Uh, but... It, it does come with a lot of costs, and if you just look at all these old formats, it's just been completely shaken up, sometimes destroyed by 2019's batch of cards. 
and I'm worried that you know their philosophy does not seem to be hey you know we screwed up here we're gonna hit the brakes and slow down no their philosophy is like this is exactly what we want to be doing we just had a couple of you know pitfalls in the details when I would rather they viewed the whole endeavor as, as a failure and learned from them the dumb. Uh, but again, you know, we're kind of probably going to be a theme a bit of this podcast as we talk about other things too. Uh, what we want as players is not necessarily what they want as the company. You know, they want their goal is to produce money for the shareholders, uh, even if that's and, and to show growth in the short term they can show to their bosses and to keep their jobs those are their incentives you know uh, and they don't necessarily align with what is going to create the best possible game we're not living in a utopia where you know their job is not actually just to make the game that we're going to enjoy the most to make the game that we're going to spend the most money on so to my knowledge this was the, the, the amount of power creep that they wanted, right? I think they may have written the article that was like... Yeah, they said that this is what they wanted besides Oko. They, they like pointing out Oko is the only mistake when, sure, Oko was the most like flagrant mistake, but it was not the only mistake by any means. Uh, there's a lot of cards that are just very, very strong. You know, you, you look and like fires of invention decks and, uh, and all the Jun sacrifice decks and stuff, like there's some high power level stuff that people don't necessarily enjoy the gameplay of, let alone, of course, you know, like Narset, Little Teferi. Uh, personally, I think, like, you know, some of those things are fine, but you have do have to be careful when you're pumping up the power level, because at some point, it's, it's hard to keep everything stable, and, you know, the power level of the threats has been just so high compared to the answers. And I do think Magic's a better game when the threats are generally better than answers, but you you want it to be close and you want you want there to be powerful but specific answers versus generic threats, I think is the is what magic is the most interesting for me at least. I love when you talk about the shareholders thing. It reminds me of of course sports, how yeah, a lot of people point out like general managers because they might be fired any minute, so they, they have to keep the team good even at the cost of whoever's going to be the next general manager. Oh, like I know you love the movie Moneyball, right? And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, I remember that, right? When Brad Brad Pitt is like trying to, he's just trying to make 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 this new plan happen. He's got he figured it out, right? But Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just like, look, I'm just making the moves All that right. I can explain in job interviews next yeah. year. And yeah. it's like, you know, that's often the incentive, though. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I, if I worked for Wizards, my number one priority would be keeping my job, getting promoted, et cetera, getting raises. You know, number two, you know, maybe, maybe like, on my list of top five <laughs> falls like that people are really having a great time, you know. But, like, it's... It's more that it just happened. Usually, the game being great, people having fun playing the game does overlap significantly with having good sales. But it's not, you know, they're they're correlated, but it's not actually causation, right? Um, so let, let's just jump to. Uh, 
Okay, so let's just jump to what people really want to hear from this podcast when uh, I tweeted out what questions they want. Because, of course, I, we dealt with it partly. we did, yeah. In, we, we mentioned last, what we had to eat, right? <laughs> in the last episode, we did deal with how you were going to approach 2020 and OP, and now with the recent, some, some I guess, the recent kerfuffle. Um, people want your take more if it changes how you view organized play and, and maybe, like, what changes or things that you would do differently if you were them. Um, I mean, recently, I, I didn't really follow it because, like, they announced something that was going to impact uh, people for the upcoming, well, at the time, it was, like, the upcoming weekend, GP Austin, and then they reverted it uh, because of the feedback, um, like, within 24, less than 24 hours, within the same day, they reverted their decision. Yep. And uh, I, was, I was talking to John, like, uh, our, our man final nub, when they first announced the change in the morning, I was like, man, if I had to do something for the face-to-face games tour that required me to announce something short, short notice, we would have just said, oh, man, it's just too soon. We have to do it next year or whatever, or, or in, in the second half. So that's why I am surprised that, because this is a reputation they, they've had, they... Watsi's been known to, to be able to listen and make quick changes due to public feedback, whether it be Twitter or public outcry, but they also have the weirdest timing, and it's been the, one of the biggest criticism of them, and it just keeps on happening, which surprises me. Like, couldn't they just... And this is something like changing the cap from 5 to 2, like, I mean, I would have just tabled it for, for next year, but I guess I can't really say that because their plans have always been in flux, and they don't seem to have a set thing every year, so it's not fair for me to say, oh, they could just put push it to next year because they probably don't even know what next year looks like. Yeah, I mean, for, for all that we like to kind of crap on Watsi a bit, one of the things they're very strong at is listening to customer feedback mm-hmm, yeah. and making changes often very quickly based on that feedback. Uh, I wish that they would listen to feedback ahead of time and make decisions based on that instead of having to always seem to re-roll back on things. Uh, you know, they say that they want to be consistent and restore their kind of the, the faith of, of everybody in OP, and I hope that they do work towards that, but, you know, we frankly haven't really seen too many signs of that being the case. And this latest change of them announcing that, hey, we, the, the night before a GP was going to happen, basically, or, a, or one day before, whatever, that... GPs were suddenly now important for MPL and Rivals races when they weren't before. Uh, yeah, the timing on that is obviously horrible, right? Uh, the actual idea itself, um, well, I have mixed feelings on it. First of all, I, th- I do think that the uh, way of instituting a cap of being your first X finishes rather than your best X finishes is much better. Uh, with with best X, first of all, incentivize you to keep traveling uh, to try and just maximize your, your finishes. Uh, this was the case even when it was a system of gold, silver, and platinum. And it will be even more so now in a system where you're not you're directly racing against other human beings. So there's a flexible point. You don't actually ever know how many points you really need. Whereas with the old system, you knew that, okay, I've now gotten enough points. I now have gold or platinum or whatever you're chasing. Uh, now, you, you know, you always just would still have to attend other tournaments until you actually get your cap of full of GP wins, right? Uh, you just still have to keep going. The, the number two on the cap is 
it was weird. Like it was like two every quarter or something. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be much better when, if they just made it like, you know, the num- four and a half year or something, right? Instead of two each quarter, that allowing like people to, let's say from a certain region, they can go and travel and play four GPs or something, uh, helping the regional bias that the system has in a certain way. My ultimate feeling, though, is that I personally prefer when they did not require people to pros to play Grand Prix because uh, as much as Grand Prix have a lot of great things going about them, they are financially negative for the most part in terms of like the cost of travel. Uh, the cost of entering the tournament is usually plus EV, but you spend so much money buying flights and hotels and whatever crappy convention center food that it just you just are basically cutting debt you're you're reducing the, the amount of salary that your pro players get and they're even doing more than buys are getting are getting like disappearing this year uh, which was a huge payoff for being a pro in fact pros don't really have three buys anyways I think uh, for this year which they had before and that was kind of wizard's way of like okay look you know we're not going to pay you money to attend these grand prix that are negative value for you even when you're getting an appearance fee but we're, you know, we'll give you three buys, so at least you'll be more likely to do well. Um, that doesn't exist, so you know, you kind of get to see again the privilege, like we we're talking about with owning cards. That not you reduce the number of people who can actually try to become a pro when you're forcing them to attend all these tournaments that cost them a ton of money to attend. I, I remember when we analyzed it was like after. Car- I think maybe you you might have done it on your own, but Carson released the article of EV, and and we, we said, or me and you maybe not on the show that like for you it was plus EV to enter these GPs and Magic Fest at some point, but that was with or without calculating uh, the outside costs. Uh, it it depends. I mean, obviously, if you're flying to Australia, which I've done once for a Grand Prix, <laughs> is it, you know whatever my EV in, in the tournament is is not it's not going it's not two thousand dollars which is what the flight costs or something right uh, and you had to go there right or no was that part of the race or no no that was not that was not the race <laughs> just... so that that was that was because Jacob Wilson and I we wanted to go to Australia just for fun basically and so we we're uh, like oh there's a GP there we we're just getting like you get, we got getting two hundred fifty dollar appearance fees for that and we're like look we're gonna go but. <laughs> We're degenerate, so we're gonna flip a coin to see who pays for both the flights. Oh god! I lost that coin flip. So, <laughs> and of course, I was joking with Jacob that I was gonna buy him a, a ticket to Sydney, Nova Scotia, <laughs> which you know. Uh, but no, I end up paying. But Jacob and I had so many. Jacob's Jacob in particular, I think, is even more degenerate than I am, and I'm pretty. I, at the time, I was a pretty crazy gambler in some ways. Oh. But, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so for a tournament like that, obviously your EV is not going to be positive. But uh, there was certainly when I was like trying at GPs, uh, my EV was somewhere around six hundred and fifty dollars uh, in plus appearance fee, which is you know basically I get like nine hundred bucks EV from going to a GP. Uh, now you you have to subtract the entry fee, which ended up usually being about a hundred bucks. Then flight, let's say, like, if I could get a cheap flight, it would be like 300 bucks. And then hotels, another two, 300 or something. And then you're basically making a little bit of profit, right? But if you, you're, you'd be making more if you went worked at McDonald's for those hours. Uh, and I was like, you know, 
I was very successful GPs. I, I was the GP player of the year one year, and the year before that, I won three GPs. So it's like, you know, the, I, 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 I did very well in, in, in those tournaments, and I still was, you know, <laughs> barely making a profit. Um, <laughs> most most people were not, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's really nice to run hot for an extended period of time. I'd rather that it over that period of time I'd run hot at PTs instead of GPs but you take what you can get um, I love that uh, we had Ben Stark saying like back to the the first two instead of the best five like he thought it was a great idea friend of the show uh, Sperling Matt Sperling thought it was I think those two were, were saying it's not that bad of a, of a grind and it, it was just funny though that you well, know it's just not really a grind when you're only because if it, even if it's best five, like instead of best five it's your first five you have to attend five GPs versus best five. You know, as you attend five GPs, you're in, and any that you don't get any pro points, and you're basically forced to go to another one to get something, right, to fill that slot. Okay, right, yeah. Even even if you're not like trying to Im- improve two point finishes to three point finishes, or so on, you know, uh, which is realistically what ends up happening. Everybody kind of tries to improve. And that was even again in a non-racing scenario, where a racing scenario everybody just has to attend every tournament if that's how you do it. So I think it's not that bad if you're going to make GPs something you want to matter in your system that you want pros attending GPs. But I think you should put other incentives there. I just thought it was funny, like John. I mean, it might not matter to him. It depends how well he does at the player's tour. But it's just like the first two. Like let's say some people were, were just going to GP Austin for fun as part of their GP schedule. And they're like, what? It's going to count as one of my first two? So that was kind of funny. But you could email them after they announced. You could email them to have it not count. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that, that existed and they had to do that because of the, how late their announcement was done was just an indicator of, hey, maybe you shouldn't be announcing this at this time if you're having to add this in, right? Uh, on the other hand, you know, I do understand them not wanting to disincentivize people to play Grand Prix. Or like, you know, you want people to play in Grand Prix even if they're not fully prepared or if they think it's going to be super soft or whatever. There are some perverse incentives like certainly, you know, traveling to a tiny GP in Nebraska is way more attractive when you're trying to get a cap. The thing is, that GP was attractive anyways, even when it was in your best finishes, right? You still wanted it to go there. Uh, so it, there's, there's flaws anyways, and that's one of the reasons I just don't like counting GPs. I like... I like very much. Why? Well, no, we got to we see your tweet. You had a good tweet about the email thing that uh, <laughs> you're going to go FFM and where you could email to have it not count. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That yeah. was good. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it just, there's, sometimes it's just too hard not to roast wizards when they, when they do something. I, I try. I try. I really try not to roast them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's better when you just they don't count GPs at all. Uh, that I, I like it very much when you're competing for pro status with other people who are also competing for that status. I don't like when the incentives are different for different people playing in a tournament, which is another problem people mentioned about the, the first GPs counting and that some people would not be playing for points at all and some would be playing for points. Well, realistically, most people are not actually competing for points for rivals or MPL, right? So 
that's just almost everybody you're going to be playing in a GP. When you play in a PT, there's still a lot of people who aren't competing for those slots. But in theory, everybody kind of could get there. Everybody's at least, you know, at a pro-level event. And it's a much smaller percentage of people who who don't care, or let's say a higher percentage of people who would care. Uh, it's still not ideal. Like, I, th- I think that's why there's all these problems with concessions in the past that, you know, one, one person's playing for, you know, $200 at a Grand Prix. The other person's playing for $200 at a Grand Prix. And the pro point they get would give them platinum or world or something, you know. So one person's playing this match for $200 and the other person's playing for $20,000. Like, you have to have a, such high integrity people who ha- are so, you know, uh, even if you make every, every potential split, concession, whatever rules, illegal. Right now, you know, there's a whole bunch of loopholes. But even if they were completely illegal, you still need both people to be, like, fairly high integrity to just, like, okay, we're going to play this match to its natural conclusion and not have, like, any hanky-panky. Because, frankly, you know, $20,000 is a lot of money. And, you know, it's a lot of money for not... Sure, it's not a lot of money for some people, but for almost everybody it is. And (laughs) John Medina. (laughs) Wow, wealthy Medina, yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding, John. I'm not. Send it. Send us more coffees. <laughs> oh, I, so to summarize, you would you would get rid of the the this counting the GPs things because let's just summarize real quick because you want like for the most part everyone playing for the same incentives. Did you say this is the second is like the first two? Does that did you say it helps sort of helps the the grind? Yeah, I think it's much better than best two or whatever best whatever you're saying like you, you would still like race be, to improve your results that's yeah. why if it's just first X then you'll attend X tournaments if okay. it's best X you'll attend all the tournaments uh, and that's you know clear thing like people are like oh what, why can't you get a chance to improve your results this is well yes but in theory it's just completely fair if everybody just gets X shots instead of like you know some people who are racing and you just have the problems like the SEG tour had where with mental health of everybody doing the grind like when I did the GP race over you know against Pascal in that year like it was bad for both of us and it really burnt me out on magic and made me enjoy the game a lot less the fact that it existed and you know they're already locked into having it for one year after that but you know a lot of feedback I gave from that is one of the reasons why I think they ultimately got rid of it and I think it's much better that that slot doesn't exist for a variety of reasons. I just think that, yeah, I think that there's a move to make GPs kind of like big PTQs, and, you know, they're worried that there's lower attendance, but incentivizing, let's say, 100 pros to attend GPs is not going to solve that problem. Uh, The problem is that the average player doesn't really see the value in going to a Grand Prix, and that doesn't change whether you get not you get points that may or may not be useful to them in any quantities that they haven't announced for something that probably isn't going to matter to them. Uh, you know, you you want bigger prizes and more prestige. I think you know video coverage of GPs kind of adds the prestige, and that matters a lot to people. That you feel like it's something that that matters that people will watch and see. That if you do well, you know. I mean, they, they had the thing says, when you're the best Magic player in the world, people will know. <laughs> and, like, you know, when you're a GP champion right now, nobody knows. They, but people want to know. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment winning a Grand Prix, you know, let alone, let's say, winning five. 
<laughs> but you know, sometimes people just don't know, and uh, I think that a lot of people play Magic not just for the money, but also for that feeling of you know triumphing, like of improving themselves, of beating a lot of other smart people, of being the best, of being the smartest, uh, and you know that that feeling is magnified when a lot of other people, you know, when it's publicized that you, you did this thing rather than it's in a kind of PTQ church basement style thing that, you know, back in the day would always experience. Yeah. I'm, I was telling you uh, before the call, like for, for me, I, I couldn't relate to uh, these, these people who uh, would, would be oh, just like happy to have a GP win or was just, um, or kind of like Shane Sarani. So wait, you couldn't relate to people who are happy to have a GP win? <laughs> I mean, I understand how you couldn't relate to Shaheen Sarani, you know? But <laughs> um, I, I just felt like um, you're saying that you weren't you 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 couldn't you wouldn't be like content with mediocrity. You always wanted to push yourself to the the highest limits, right? Um, so yeah, definitely wouldn't. I, wouldn't identify with Shaheen then. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's like uh, I don't know, I guess it's coming from the chess background, I either like didn't play super casual or I went full force uh, studying my games every day or reading new books uh, almost on a, on a daily basis or, or playing with like let's say the chess master program, whatever. And so over the years um, I never uh, that's why it was for me. It was like all or nothing. I, I viewed it as like so you're like what, an on-off switch. You're basically like pro magic do yes or pro magic do no, not pro magic middle of the road, right? Right. Like for people who were happy to be like even silver or gold, I, I guess I like I, I would be happy with the qualifications, but I, I would have had like it was like platinum or bust to me in a way. And um, well, I'll, I'll say something here that you know, as someone who's been a pro just solo pro magic player for the last like 10 years uh, it the people who have had other jobs and have done that as their hobby are the smart ones uh, pro magic hasn't really you know I made a reasonable amount of money with it but it's not doesn't offer a lot of stability and it doesn't offer enough money to compensate for a lot of the you know mental health issues that it brings with it and the uh the lack of stability and you know the amount of hours and dedication stuff that it takes i think a lot of people who are pro magic players could you know if they had that same focus and drive with something else uh they they're they're smart people and they could do very well probably make more money with more stability and stuff uh, magic's the thing they love so they do that and you know the the magic tour is kind of can be very addictive too especially you get immersed in it and all your friends are there and it's hard to get out uh, as you know I've kind of been trying to get out myself for for a last while and you know I feel like you know that hey, it's which time I think I'm out they pull me back in you know like and uh, it's it's tough I think you know the Shaheen method makes some sense I think it's a lot healthier to be able to go halfway uh, and kind of have magic be a thing that you like to do you like to compete but not have it be everything uh, and that's definitely anybody listening that's what I recommend 
you know, I don't recommend quitting school or a job or whatever to pursue magic full time. Though honestly, now it's becoming more of a reasonable thing to do if you get MPL. It's there is a real amount of money. Like it's a it's not just a job; it's a very good job. Uh, you know, I'm looking at my numbers in 2019. I made you know a bit under 200k US, and I had a medium year. Some you know, I'm sure that like. Andrea made half a million or something. Um, and, you know, those are amounts of money that are, are worth worth quitting your job for, I think. Uh, but the thing is, how how consistently can you get that? You know, one, right. literally one person, Andrea, had that good a year. Javier had a great year, too, but not that good. And, you know, there's sponsorships and streaming that can kind of mitigate the, the ups and downs but it's still tough because your downs you're going to lose your sponsors and you know you're often just not going to be in the state to be able to stream consistently so I think the like Shaheen method is actually not that crazy even though you know yeah, I mean there, yeah there's definitely the downside we, we, I think we mentioned last episode you know with with Sigris right like we don't know like what he plans to do I don't I haven't talked to him like in the next, in, in this come, upcoming year, yeah, but he's got mouths to feed. He can't, he can't just, you know, lank around. And the thing is, like, I felt that I could just, you know, go and give this magic thing a shot. That I would regret if I didn't try it. And I think that's true. I would regret, I would regret if I had not given Pro Magic a try. And I think I've, you know, I've met all sorts of incredible people and had a lot of great experiences. And I am who I am today because, you know, I've gone through that. Uh, I think it's had ultimately a a positive experience even though there's been negative points but uh, I'm a very lucky person in the way that like I was successful at it you know I, again if like a couple tournaments go the other way just you know nobody knows my name and I'm just like really screwed I, I'm, I'm broke and having having wasted a couple years or whatever um, and I'm you know then I was kind of young and now I'm not that young it's like I, I can I feel the tick 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 of, of the clock going by and it's like I can't really just like float around anymore you know I, I, it's time to get going <laughs> um the, the, the Shaheen thing for me was like I couldn't I couldn't understand I love how that someone, we're calling being a, a silver gold pro uh, the Shaheen uh, she, thing. No, he, he's mentioned it as a guest multiple times on our show like how like that's the thing that he's he's proud to to strive for and when and Watsi canned it, like it's something that, like, when they brought, they're like rivals. It's like that's not gold. That's not what I want. That's not for people like me. And um, again, I, I didn't see when I was hyper competitive. Could see someone who was striving for the, I guess, not even second best, but like some third best structure. But now I do. Now, now that I'm a lot more uh, older and wiser, older and wiser, I can see washed out. Watched out can see that I would like a system where it's probably the best system where you're you have multiple things that incentivize different groups of people depending on their time commitment and and the level of dedication. Like my close friend uh, Robert Lombardi, uh, ex co-host of my first straight podcast, he you know he became a dad, had two kids, and I think he would he, he won a GP in Toronto, and he's not aspiring to be MPL rival, but something that again like a gold level achievement I think is probably something that would intrigue him that would bring him out uh, to, to play yeah I mean 
it comes back to again what we were talking earlier about shareholders being the you know the, the people that Wizards makes their decisions for, and then organized play. There's the dichotomy between whether organized play exists for the people playing in it or for the people watching it, right? And historically, it's been for the people playing in it. And you know, there's been great systems like the players' club levels are way way better to participate in in terms of your experience as a player compared to like look you have to be in the top 20 players or you're fired and uh, you know versus you need to get this many points okay that's doable like I, I'm just competing against myself I'm not competing against other people uh, <coughs> and also that there's you know rewards for these lower tier things like you know if you get silver you did you did quite well you know you did, you're in the top 200 magic players in the world you get something as a reward for that. Um, if you're top 100 players in the world, you'll get gold. Like that, That's a big payoff. Um, their new system now is basically much more focused on providing events that people are going to want to watch. Whether they're successful in doing that or not is another question, but that's clearly all the decisions they've been making are with that as their aim. Having something like, look, there's a cut... The people who are in the MPL, that's the top 24 players in the world. Everybody understands that. Whereas you say that he's he's platinum or she's platinum. You just It's not like something that an, an average person can grasp. It's like, what does that mean? Well, there's it's the people who achieved like the best pro status, okay? What did they do? Well, they got more than this number of points. What does that mean? It's very confusing it's, as a viewer to understand that. How, you know, could, can you as someone who's very entrenched, even can I someone who's the most entrenched you can be. Yeah. Can, can I name how many Platinums there were in the last three years? No, I can't. I don't know how exactly how many there were. You know, roughly 30-ish or something, right? Um, but, you know, were there 37 or 28? I, honestly, I, I, I couldn't tell you. And why, you know, knowing that that type of thing is something that as a viewer is kind of interested to know, you know, instead of just like this thing of oh this person's very good at magic which they use all the time and just so much so that it means nothing now it means nothing like you know it's they'd say that about someone who's a silver level player and also about Javier Dominguez and you know while no disrespect to the silver level players out there but Javier is, a, is multiple levels above it's like you know competing Le, comparing like LeBron James to the guy who crushes in high school right like it's it's just not not a fair comparison but both of them are just get put in the same label you know they're both of them are good at basketball so yes but one is <laughs> one is a beast you know i thought we were going to do another <laughs> shaheen comparison there well you your word's not mine you're the, you're the one who can slam shaheen i i just i just beat him in matches of magic so it's uh yeah it's it's different so not only that but also the tournaments like these arena tournaments right they're low field with high name recognition, especially a lot of people who are invited just to try and get viewership on them, you know, from whether they be famous streamers or famous Twitter people or, you know, minorities or people known from other games. They, they're, they're invited and put into to play against the best. And, you know, they, they allow some people to get invited. But I think, you know, if it was up to them, do they are those people getting invited are, are really there just so that like if one of them succeeds it's a Cinderella story they could be like that could be you 
you at home, just fire up Arena. All you have to do is, you know, put a $500 into Arena, and then you can end up playing into this tournament and winning, you know, just like this guy did. Even though, you know, it's not... It's incredibly unlikely for any one individual to get to have that story. Especially, you know, you look at the people who generally have been successful in getting from Arena and, you know, there's Chris Kvartek this year, right? But not too many other people of, of really who you didn't already know of before. So versus the old Pro Tour model where it's like, you know, it was like a quarter quarter pros and then three quarters like people who just want a qualifier and they're just all playing and <laughs> you know you, you you had experience to play with other great players it's like from all around the world uh, now they have the the regional system but that splits into small smaller events that are maybe allow more people to access that but that each event kind of feels less special and it's maybe you know I think they're kind of trying to move the viewership stuff to arena because it's also easier to follow a game on arena than in paper so there's there's different incentives there and if you're designing an organized play system where you know you're having these invitationals versus one where you're having you know these tournaments they're kind of trying to do a little bit of both and they're kind of failing at both in my opinion you know the the classic adage you can please you know some of the people all the time all the people some of the time but you can't please all the people all the time and that's kind of that's kind of where we're at and there's no real clear answer of like you know someone asked oh what would I do as organized play well <laughs> I have my own incentives if I'm you know the god eternal of, of organized play then yes the system I would set up would you know, would be pretty different from both, but would you know, it'd be a it would be a system made for the people participating in the system more than for the people watching, and would not have any you know feedback based off of what the shareholders at Hasbro want. But frankly, the shareholders at Hasbro are actually the most important people. Uh, <laughs> it you know, as much as we'd like it not to be, you know. We're we're just paying money towards towards them, and like if we get pushed so far that we stop playing, that's when they notice. But Magic's doing better than ever, so maybe you know as much as we give them crap, they know really what they're doing. But yeah, this is not a podcast just about crapping on Watsy, though. This is also about Occasional strategic content. I don't know. I don't. I don't have strategy today. Well, you never do. It's always on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, here's your Shaheen Sarani moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a, I'm trying to think like what you would have done because like, like in the recent talk, people were were um, comparing, of course, the players tour to SCG, and with all this news and all this confusion, people are like. You know, that's why I love playing SCG. They take care of their uh, players more, they brand them more, but then um, other people would say, well, they still have this system that incentivizes you. Like, Zach Allen was on our show, talked about how he was going to skip the players' tour to attend an SCG because, um, well, if he wants to make the, the players' championship, the SCG players' championship, he's got to give every chance, got to play all of them, right? Well, not all of them, as many as he can, 
and yeah. um, and that's something that you don't like as part of the system, probably, right? Like, so. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't love the SCG system. I do agree that there's a lot of things SCG does really well that I wish that Wizards would take some notice of some of their playbook. Um, you know, they're very good at promoting players. They have, I think, they have excellent coverage. Uh, I think they're very consistent, and they announce things ahead of time. I like all those things. The actual system and the payouts of their tournaments, uh, they're not for me. But uh, also, you know, I don't live in, in the East Coast of the United States, which is where their kind of target audience is mostly. And I think if I did, I probably, you know, would have would have gone to them. I'm it's kind of kind of sweet, especially, you know, some of the some of the things they have seem like awesome incentives and uh, I like a lot of what they're doing, but again, I don't really like a system where you're incentivized to just attend everything and kind of smash your head against the, the wall when you go, like, top 16, but your competitor goes top 8. Um, <laughs> um, and certainly, like, a player's champ seems like a sweet event, but it's still, like, the, if you come last place, you end up with $500. You leave with $500. Like, that's... I don't know. I've been spoiled by high le- pro level magic, and I don't think I could do that. But certainly, younger me would have been super excited to like play in a tour, a tournament series like that. And now, I guess there's a face to face series hitting Canada, right? You want to do your plug? Do you have to? Are you are you required by I your job? I don't have to. I don't have okay, to. Okay, then let's not talk about it at all. So, um, I, I think what what was interesting with the regional stuff was like you know what it reminds me of we we praised them a lot on the show is Riot how they have their own like a division in terms of uh, I don't even know what they're called like the LCK and the uh, like the different regions yeah and LCS and yeah they, they have they, they split up their servers based on what region you're from right and I felt that was interesting like because that's a that's another way to give I guess an increased amount of people more brand value because even though like team liquid or cloud nine they're not like when you look at the vegas odds or betting odds once to get to worlds they're not supposed to stand a chance against some of those they're top never gonna teams. win worlds but they still get a lot of show time and they're still like a lot of like the, the best in their region right, right. so i mean so is that a point towards wizards doing the regional tour that, that's that's allowed, that allows them to promote the Shaheen Sarani, say, is a, is a superstar in NA. But not when, really. he, when, when he starts playing with against the Europeans, though, suddenly <laughs> they have the tools to defeat the Celestial Colony decks that he brings to the table. <laughs> not really, because, like, you're you're going to Japan. You're going to, what was it? Is it Nagoya? Yeah, I'm going to Nagoya. Yeah, so that, so it, it clearly they're not doing that, but, like, it reminded me, hey, maybe they could do that and have these different paths of. Like I know who Tim Team Liquid, it, like Double F and everybody who's on it because they're considered the the best in NA in their own region. Even though again they don't stand a chance against, let's say uh, G two or Fun Plus Phoenix and stuff like that. So yeah, or SK Telecom uh, or yeah. T one or whatever they're called now. I know that's your, they're your favorites, right? Faker, you love you love, you love <laughs> I, I love, I love the, the whoever the best player is. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe, like, because, like, I'm just bringing it back to, to you mentioning, like, maybe, like, for you, a better system instead of having the first two or whatever is just, like, bring back, uh, put back the brand value in, in them. And, and, yeah, I just wonder what their, what their thing. Again, like, when I think about how slow Watsi can move, I, 
I just think about like me and Face, if uh, the Face to Face game series actually uh, tour. If people had feedback for me, it's not like I can just decide on the spot. I have to like take all the feedback, construct maybe a proposal if I agree with the the feedback to to the uppers, uh, higher ups, and then they will you know they take their due diligence. They, whatever they have their own set of projects and then they'll decide on the change so i'm always curious i wish i was a you know a spider on the wall for for the watsi team just to know like what the process is and how long it takes for for feedback to, to hit or if there's like one master person controlling everything i mean yeah i think there's a lot of like good people at, at watsi who you know are trying their best but i think there are you know Often, too many cooks in the kitchen is sometimes the thing that you can you can just see from things that are put out that some people clearly want one a system one way and other people want it another way and there's push pull and then there's also definitely some higher up people who you know I think don't actually really understand magic and the, the people who participate in these tournament series and don't understand the incentives that are created they just think oh yeah let's make our pros play in these tournaments they'll be more visible or something, right? Um, when that doesn't really happen, um, I don't know. It's 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 complicated. I can't say that I I could go and create a perfect organized play system. Uh, and I think anybody who says that is li- either lying to you or deluded. Um, but could I could given all the parameters that Wizards is working with and knowing the budget knowing what they're trying to get out of it and you know given that it's my project and full control over it could I make something better than what we have right now probably I'd like to think I could but maybe I couldn't maybe I'm overestimating my abilities but I feel like I feel like that's something I could I could probably do a, a reasonable shot of but again I have my biases as being a former pro so they have data that I'm super interested in and I wish I could have access to basically stuff like on average what's the average amount of GPs uh, people play uh, how like does it change year to year uh, just like they have all this data to know how many people are going to be like um, that just like takes a mental toll and needs to take a huge break that, that I, I'd be intrigued in um, but again like me too for, for in terms of making a structure because when I'm looking for other games or sports or inspiration, and, and we, we did like at least two episodes on this where like the, the, the huge difference is in those sports, like even in league, White Faker's a big star, it's like it's lower variance. It's easier to have people show up and up and up again. That's why they, I guess, came up with the MPL. But again, that's not really working because even, even 24, it's like too many people for the casual fan to keep track of everybody yeah Yeah. no it's 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 tough i mean i think they could if they really put a lot of effort into marketing them um one thing certainly if i'm in organized play system it wouldn't be how our current system is where basically your results over the course of one year dictate you know your standings entirely i think i would have a longer system because again there's so, so much variance that you know you get to look at a bigger slice and you get a bit better picture. There's been a lot of times where there's people who are really one-hit wonders that they had one great year or something, or good year even, and then disappeared off the map, right? Uh, versus people who like 
have like one bad year and then also disappear off the map from one bad year, you know, how much how much do you balance those things is another another challenge with organized play. Do you you know some people are like, look, this guy won one of the a mythic championship. They should be invited to everything. They should be in the MPL and so on and so forth. It's like, well, how much do you balance the people who think that's the way things should be or the people who think, look, this person came top 32 in three of these four tournaments and top 64 or whatever in the other. They should be in the MPL. They should be, like, qualified for everything. It's like, you know, those are two different pulls. And it's like, which, if I had to... You know, guess I had to put money on of these two individuals. Who did I think was actually better at Magic? I bet on the person who had the all the top thirty twos. But you know, who's more famous? Who has more eyeballs? Who's better known? It's going to definitely be the person who won the tournament. Uh, and most of the rewards go to the people like that in our current system. And if that's the case, you certainly can't have one strong tournament result lasts you for like five years of status but you need a balance of letting new people come in as well as keeping people in so it's complicated it's complicated yeah you're right it's complicated because it's also good for casual fans to see someone win a lot of money basically yeah I mean especially someone winning a six figure payout just catches sounds your good attention. right yeah. it catches your attention whoa like yeah. especially you know you can tell you're, you're a kid and you're like playing magic and your parents like oh what are you doing wasting your time like playing this stupid game on weekends and you're like look I qualified for this tournament if I win this the tournament I qualified for I get a hundred thousand dollars they're like okay you're allowed to go you know like <laughs> <laughs> like my parents you know now they're super supportive of the magic stuff but when I started they were both pretty off it and uh, you know I won a pro tour I won Forty forty thousand dollars, and suddenly both of them are like, "Wow, this magic thing is all right," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that impression. I love it. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough. It really is tough. I'm so yeah, giving these people a hard time. You know, it's there. There's a lot of balancing for a lot of different things, uh, but I think we could all all agree that announcing something midnight the yeah. day before Grand Prix. Is is not bad, not acceptable really, um, but I think we are often at times we're too hard with, with with wizards. There are there are a lot of difficult things, you know, balancing these cards. Play design is a tough job. Op is a tough job. Thing is, it's their job, so they should. You know, they're being paid to do it, and they should be doing it right. I just want. I think the ratings list should come back. I don't know why they've been gone for so long and why they were even initially gone. Like I've heard people say it's because like bad players would just feel really bad about themselves, but But you didn't, right? I mean <laughs> Shaheen did it. Shaheen clearly did. But like in chess, I mean like wouldn't they have complained about that in like people who are just like really low rated for so long? I mean I, Well in chess you can't blame the shuffler, right? Like, in, in, in Magic, you know, you can win 25% of your matches, but say, like, oh, I would have won, but the shuffler's screwing me. In chess, some, you say, like, oh, what are you going to say? Like, oh, I just I just got unlucky. Like, everybody's going to laugh at you, you know? But I feel like because of the variance of the game, and like chess, there's only so low you can go. I feel at some point, it's like, 
unless everyone at your LGS is a sicko, it's like at some point you're going to hit a point where you just can't. Well, if everyone at your LGS is a sicko, then they're all going to be super high rated if they play tournaments <laughs> elsewhere, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there is, but still, like, just being. Nobody likes to feel below average, and a lot of reasons people play Magic is to feel smart. And if you are have a below average rating, you're not going to feel smart, and you're going to you're going to be like, screw this. You know, it's easy to explain away to yourself that you're getting unlucky when you lose at Magic that, and not and to not accept the fact that you're bad, which is everybody's bad. I'm bad. You're bad. Shaheen certainly is bad. You know, Ben Stark. Oh yeah, definitely bad. And it's like. But you, just have, you just have to accept that and, and then learn learn from it. Decide that you're going to take that as a challenge to get better. So, so you're like than, rather than blaming luck for your losses. But I guess you're making me think like I guess it's possible there's like some up well not up and comer some aspiring chess player, you know, hits a rating slump and then goes like f this this isn't for me. Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, imagine, let's say in poker. Imagine in poker that everybody got a rating, all right? Do you think that would be a good or a bad thing for poker? Uh, I think bad, but I don't know how, how serious the, the bad players will take the rating because they're bad, right? They will get, yeah, but <laughs> the thing is, when, when you're a bad player who keeps playing, you, you either find it fun and don't mind losing, the fact that you're losing anyways... Uh, are trying to get better and learn or you don't think you're bad you think you're good and then you're just getting unlucky you know <laughs> and I think that third group is a huge, a huge group of, <laughs> of, of especially in poker but magic too I think that in poker think of all these people who go to the casino to play poker like how, how many of them actually think that they're like likely to win money or whatever a reasonable number I think most of them right when on average, of course, everybody loses money because the house takes a cut. It's kind of the same in Magic, except you know the house is being like wizards, and the prizes are just payout just so much smaller compared to what you're putting in when you consider travel costs and stuff. That like you know, yeah, it's hugely negative EV if, if money is all all that, that matters. So in some ways, the fact that everybody comes out a loser makes makes it easier to be like, oh yeah, well. I'm still really good, even though I like, you know, didn't do that well. I have, it reminds me of a Reddit thread I recently read where a guy's just like, "Oh, it's my birthday. I just got this birthday money. I'm going to the casino. I plan to make money. Anybody give me any strategies?" <laughs> People are like, "Just don't go, man. I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, just buy lottery tickets instead, bro." But. <laughs> But come on, how cool would it be if you had, if you consistently had over the years, the top 10 U.S. players and like you saw a few names, you know, consistently there. I don't know. I. But well, would you? If it's, if it's Magic, do you, how, right, how, uh, how often do you think the top 10 rated players would stay the same year to year? I don't think they would. Yeah, that's a good point. You can, you can look right now. There's the MTG ELO project, right? And you could just see how much it varies. Like, look, for one point, there's a, Maybe even still, there's some some kid who's in ranked first who I'd never heard of before, Max Mick. Nothing against him. I'm sure he's great. But just like ranked number one ELO. It's like, you know, maybe we should know who this person is, but also maybe there's problems with this rating system because, you yeah, know, like, 
I think it might. There, you actually, look at, you, if you look at the top list, there's there's so many people who kind of have had like one or two hot tournaments recently, and that's it, right? Uh, I think I find it you know much more telling to look at someone's graph, let's say, which is you know the the things like most time spent over two thousand elo, right? If somebody spent a lot of time over two thousand elo, and while playing tournaments, that player's got to be a monster. But again, like, taking any snapshot doesn't give you doesn't give you a valuable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm starting to think about like 538 for for NFL. Uh, they they use Elo for NFL, but just to make it a bit more sophisticated, they the Elo like the the starting quarterback of each uh, team matter more. So if if a random dude from from the offense or defense get injured, they don't. They either don't make adjustments or make minor adjustments, but if the quarterback switches, there's like a quarterback elo, then it switches uh, completely. And I and I know in Magic, like the traditional chess elo does not work. Uh, it would have to be such a sophisticated uh, thing. Like here's an example. Let's say you know you do really well. There's like a portion of that doing well is due to the strength of your deck. Uh, let's say you, you like your whole team broke it, so then you you'll have like players that traditionally or generally are not that good. They overperform, and somehow a rating system would like a sophisticated complex one would have to like be able to suss that out, be able to say like, okay, he played this deck. This deck on average had this win percentage, and like, but but. I don't know how you would be able to do it. Well, here, talk, I'm going to see this a little bit into a discussion, an actual strategic information okay, discussion. Which is, we're going to talk about the London Mulligan a bit, because that's also been a, a topic of discussion. A lot of people think they should get rid of it, that it was a mistake. A lot of people say, no, it's it's great that, you know, moving forward, it's a huge boon for Magic for, let's say, a lot of casual players. Um, I think it's interesting because... the one of the topics that was being talk, talked about was people saying they're testing, they get hugely different testing from their teammates with various matchups uh, with the London Mulligan compared to before the London Mulligan existed. Uh, so my theory is that this is due to the fact that there's a lot of more powerful cards and London Mulligan kind of exacerbates the fact that there's these incredibly f- punishing proactive threats that it makes that the games of magic one of the reasons I've been enjoying them less I think is that the games of magic themselves have fewer decisions in them a large number of your decisions are what deck are you registering and then the mulligan because London Mulligan creates a lot of decisions but it also makes the games a lot faster and more streamlined so that they just like you, if you don't mulligan properly you die right away uh, and or your opponent dies right away to whatever you're doing so there's all these decisions with the mulligan you know first of all do you mulligan the answer is almost always yes and then you look at your your next seven cards which card do you put on the bottom or do you mulligan again and basically just like try and sculpt a, a perfect starting hand and then you just you, you're not draw versus your opponent's not drawn who, who did better um and then I think a lot of people haven't adjusted to that. They haven't realized that the mulligan is now kind of the most important part 
of a game of Magic. That's where I think a huge amount of the skill comes in now. Uh, so. Hmm, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Interesting in a good way. <laughs> that's my that's my little strategic tip of, of, of the week. I mean, that's huge if you think that. That means it's like an exploit because I feel like I feel like it's exploit when, when someone when it's something that's not commonly known or adjusted for. When it's tough because sometimes you look at these hands, especially if you're accustomed to pre-London Mulligan magic, you look at these heads that have like you know a couple of things to interact with in the first couple of turns, and then like a thing to do, but it doesn't have your best thing to do. Like, is that a keep? Is that a mulligan? Like, how many cards are you at? Uh, do you have the Scrylands? Like, you know, like let's say playing the Jeskai Fires deck, and you're against red black aggro, and your hand is like Clarion Justice Strike. Uh, Sphinx and like four lands or whatever, two which are scry lands. Is that a keep or a mulligan? You don't have fires of invention. You don't have like a cavalier or whatever, but you have like two good interactive things, a sphinx. You get to dig really deep with your sphinx scries and with your your scries from your lands. Like would you keep that hand? On the play, on the draw, you know, it's or do you ship that and try and find your your nut draw and play fires into cavalier or whatever, right? Like, frankly, a lot of time you're going to keep that hand. And you're going to die because your opponent has their nut draw. They're going to play like you know a two drop. You'll use your your justice strike on, and then they'll play a rotting regisaur or something, and then ember cleave you, and you die. Or two registers, whatever. You know, the the point kind of still stands that the usually the way the cards are, the nut draws from any deck kind of can, will will always win against solid draws from another deck. So you want to be mulliganing to your nut draws and kind of constructing your deck in a way to maximize your nut draws. There's no more like of the classic magic battle of power versus consistency. The London Mulligan gives you basically all the consistency you need. You just need to want to maximize for power. Uh, and I think both deck building and play and deck choice should be influenced by this, as well as, of course, your uh, your Mulligan decisions themselves. That wow. This intrigues me. So, th- is this known by the pros? Like, you, is this like a quote? Like, this if, is if you don't mulligan, stuff. if you don't Mulligan almost every game you're probably not mulliganing enough is that like can I quote I mean, you on that but I don't I don't I don't think that's it's not quite that but like <laughs> I mean I don't think you should mulligan every game because obviously you know look at six of the London mulligan is worse than a seven if you know if you're just taking your your six versus your seven but if your seven is not the nuts are close to it you probably should be mulliganing yeah I think that I think now, like, one mulligan a game is probably about where your average should be. But you feel you're mulliganing more than, than before. Yes. Before before you would often keep seven-card hands that were, let's say, mediocre or risky because you did the, you know, either actual math or feel felt feeling of the math that, like, if you go to six, 
you know, that's that's a greater risk. You're like, you know, even with this hand is only 40% to win, but going to mulligan to six, you're 35% to win, right? Uh, now with the London mulligan, the risk of going to six cards or five cards is decreased a lot. You know, your five card hands before used to be like you really would hope that there were three lands and Oko and Goose in them or whatever, right? Whereas now you get to see seven cards and hope that there's three, there's like two lands, Oko, Goose among them, and you can find whatever other cards, you know, you get to see a lot more cards to try and find that opening. You can have Once Upon a Time as a replacement for one of those cards, etc. Um, you know, playing Tron it was was what I you noticed the London Mulligan the most, where, you know, at a mirror where, man, where both of us Mulligan to four, and I just I play turn three card, turn four Ulamog, and I'm all the four. It's... It, it's, you know, sure that could happen before, but it's just so much less likely. Whereas now you just get to look at all, all seven cards and just like, you know, these three are actually not important. Only the important cards matter because Magic now is a whole bunch of tens and like ones kind of. And before it was like fives and sixes mattered, and now they don't really matter. Your five and six card, like not card hands, but like in terms of a scale of power level from one to ten your like draws you want to have your tens and nines like you're maximizing the amount of sevens you have is no longer a successful strategy to winning has that changed has limited stayed the same or is it affected by this as well uh, that's a good question i think limited is still pretty similar uh, i think like there the thing is in limited there's only so many powerful cards at, the, at this level like compared to the other cards that you can actually draft and in Constructed a lot of the most powerful cards you don't need that many resources to play it's one of the things right they're cheap and they kind of provide resources on their own in Limited it's rare that those cards like the best card you might have in your deck right might be like a fireball effect you're not going to try and mulligan into your fireball effect right in fact you just you want to draw later in the game uh, limited resource quantity is much more important and I think in limited, increasing the, the value is still important to increase the kind of average value of your draws um, you want to have. But I think it's in some ways limited hasn't adjusted enough that I think people are probably playing too many, like two drops in limited compared to how much they should be. That now, like if you have a slower hand, the cost of mulligan isn't quite as high. It's still high, higher and limited than it is constructed, I think. Um, but you know, you can afford to, to have have fewer early things so that your draws later in the game are better. Um, because the cost of having a having to mulligan a hand because of no early play is decreased. But on the other hand, everybody's going to kind of have faster, smoother draws, so stumbling is costlier. I think mostly that what I'm talking about is is the case for constructed. Uh, rather than limited, I think limited, limited is still pretty pretty decent. I think, and I think the R and D has done a, a solid job with limited over the, the the past while. Whereas constructed, I think is kind of is tougher to test in many ways. Yeah, I think I saw some pro or there was some tweet said uh, Theros Beyond Death was was the nut. So um, yeah, hopefully, I. Uh, it's always kind of fun to, to play a new draft format. 
It's a, uh, it's been a long episode. We'll wrap up, but we'll wrap up with the, like John had a question, but like I feel like he asks us this question every time, but this time is like specific to this GP. He always asks us like limited questions, and this one is like, you know, any tips for the pre-release limited event? And it's like, I mean, I don't know what else you can tell him besides like what we've said, what you've said since like episode one, which was like. You know, play less two jobs. We've, we've been we've been making this yeah. as our, well, part of our core strategy. <laughs> Certainly for like a pre-release <laughs> limited GP is uh, like if you know what all the tricks do and uh, are like so you you know what when your opponent attacks what they're representing. That's a huge advantage compared to other people. I think in general tricks are probably going to be better in pre-release environments than they are afterwards because people won't be as prepared or as able to play around them uh, and for that reason bluffing might also be more valuable because you can make a bluff that doesn't actually make sense but people don't actually know what all the cards do Some, a card like for instance uh, a fairy trickster right which the 1-2 flash gives a creature minus 2 minus 0 when it comes into play that card is still a good card later in the format but pre-release era it was absurd it was like always a two for one you'd always get your opponent with it right they just always attack into it and then everybody gets got by it once and then doesn't do it again well you want to be the person to get them that one time right uh, in general I think preparation probably pays off the most for a pre-release limited GP you do get to you know a lot of other people are going to have way less experience with the cards so even if you've done like five drafts, you're ahead of a lot of the competition. Whereas in later tournaments, if you know other people have done 15 drafts and there's diminishing returns. So even if you've done 100 drafts, you're not as much ahead as if you've done five and they've done zero, even though you've done 85 more instead of five more. So yeah, I mean that's kind of the as you said, we've talked about limited a lot on and in the in, in the podcast and. Uh, there's not much more for that. I think it's even like, I mean, this is a, like a subtle small thing. I guess it's even better to, to again, go for the uh, slower approach because most people aren't going to be, like most people are going to put bad cards in their deck because you just don't know. And that's going to like indirectly just give you more time for your good cards to draw good cards, I think. But it's like a small, you know, that's a small thing. Yeah, I mean, people put bad cards in and they play horrible mana bases uh, I think in general especially for sealed you know people don't really know how to build a sealed deck if you build one with you know being able to be proactive is good so that you can beat the people who have better decks than you by them stumbling uh, and but also try and play all your powerful cards that's you know crash course if you if you want more than advice than that you're gonna have to buy more lessons, John. <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. The, the ma- I have seen so many people come up to you, and it's especially true when they play three or more colors, and you're, you just look at their mana base. You're like, what are you doing? And it's like, that's going to be the case for a lot of players at these. Uh, Never magic play the triple double. <laughs> Don't play three colors with double casting costs of all three colors. That's like number one rule. That when I look at somebody come brings me their deck and says anything you would change. That's the number one thing that always happens. They're just playing three colors, or they're playing three colors, and like I look at one of the colors, and it's got a two-drop 
2-2 creature or something and like one mediocre removal spell or whatever. It's like, don't do that. Like, just cut this color or play this other card that's maybe not as good as this off-color removal spell in your deck, but it's just like, it still does a similar thing, you know? Play Claustrophobia or whatever, you know, that taps down their thing instead of minus five, minus five for five or whatever on the splash. Um, and yeah, if you're going to splash, it's okay, but try to splash cards that have an impact as soon as you draw the splash color and only single color of the splash. All right. I'm excited to to edit this because this music was louder than usual. We'll see the oh, results. So wait, can we just listen to the music for a second? <laughs> All right. That, that, that's what people always message us saying they, li- they love the background music. I can't. I, I can't. I, I know you can't take any of the credit. I'll take all no. the credit. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, right. well, this is this is how you like to record these things, man. You know, some people have these Skype things where you just do this. You know, but I feel we have more chemistry when we do it in person with some killer background music in a random cafe after a big meal that you fed me. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, and if you have any strategic questions, it seems like Carr always asks for questions, but almost everybody just wants to know about me. What are my 2020 plans? Well, I don't have 2020 vision. I, I wear glasses. But uh, I, ha- I actually have some, some stuff in the works, but it's a secret. They've show- Things have been shown that if you share your goals, often you're less likely to, com- to succeed. But mostly this year, I'm going to be taking kind of a back back seat in uh, in terms of magic. I'm not going to be putting as much of my my brain power and effort into it. Uh, and we'll see how things go. But this is kind of a slow retirement. I'm going to still still go to a few events, but yeah, mostly mostly taking things kind of easy and uh, recording, still recording podcasts with KYT because that's fun, but it's we'll good that we can record this podcast without people having having to have up-to-date deck lists, like <laughs> Arena Decks podcast. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw you, Zach Allen, you putting them at, at number one, us at number two. Remember, if you're going to list us in the thing, you list us number one podcast. <laughs> no, no steak knives. I like, I like some people put us as uh, S tier and uh, that warmed yeah, my heart we appreciate heart. that we appreciate that and, and all, all jokes aside it's it, even though it stings a little being placed in number number two you know it's, it's understandable <laughs> it's understandable alright talk to you guys later peace peace <laughs>